breach in the church, and the Bible explains why that is so. I'll give you a hint right now. It's not punishment. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is about to begin his final message in this series of lessons from 1 Timothy chapter 2 about the roles of women in worship. It's a tough subject, and there are many people who would disagree with Pastor Steve's and the Apostle Paul's stance. Here's Pastor Steve to explain why God said no to women preachers. Will you turn, please, to 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is our uh, concluding message. It's part five of the series called Women in Worship. And even though we are dealing with only a portion of this passage, we want to see it in its context so you'll get the flow of Scripture and understand the mind of God as it's revealed in its progressive form. 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning at verse 9. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works as befits women making a claim to godliness. Let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman, being quite or thoroughly deceived, fell into transgression. But women shall be preserved or saved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. This is not an easy subject to cover. We have tried to come at it from many different angles. But let me start off by, by... dealing with something we have not said before, something that we ought to understand. We have a number of people who are applying for church membership, very large group, and in looking over uh, the forms, as that's one of my responsibilities, I saw that um, one person in giving her testimony of how she came to Christ said something like this, believe it or not, I came to know the Lord through the preaching of a woman preacher. Uh, I believe that. I hope you believe it, Uh, but it brings up a very good point, and the point is this. We don't justify women teaching men because something good came out of it. There's a lot of things in God's sovereignty that he allows to happen which doesn't necessarily get his approval, and this is one of those areas. In fact, I said in one of the messages that the, the issue is not how good a woman teaches or how a poor a man teaches. The issue is what does the Word of God say? Uh, There are many women preachers and teachers who are far better than men. There are many women who can do a a far better job in handling an exposition of Scripture than men can, but that is not the issue. For us, the issue is biblical integrity. For us, the issue is biblical authority. If the Word of God states it, then we obey it regardless of of what has happened when that has been violated. The end never justifies the means. So we need to to touch on that. The the only thing we're concerned about is not what other people think or not what has happened in history. The issue that we are concerned about only is what does the Word of God teach. And so we have been going through 1 Timothy chapter 2, dealing with... Uh, the role of women as it specifically pertains to the worship service. We're not dealing so much with the home here. We're not dealing at all with society. We are dealing with when the church gathers, the worship meeting, the assembling of the church. 
And we said the key to this is found in verse 8, which ties in with verse 9. Paul says in verse 8, he has is, he is just finished speaking, or he is about to finish speaking about the role of the church when it gathers. It is to pray. It is to pray for the lost folks. It is not just to, um, to meet to be taught. It is to meet also to pray for people to be saved. And then he says, therefore, I want the men, that is the males, I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. In other words, when the church gathers, it ought to be led in prayer. Part of the leadership there is to be led in prayer by godly men. The thought here is without wrath and dissension. It isn't so much that they are to uh, physically lift up their hands. The point is, is that the hands represent the, the body, represents the heart, represents the life, and those who do lead in prayer are to be godly. They are not to come with wrath and dissension in their hearts. And so godliness is the key for leadership in the worship service. Therefore, Paul connects verse 9 and says, likewise, in other words, in the same manner, In the same manner, I want, and I'm paraphrasing now the essence of thought here, I want women to be godly as well. The role of men is to lead in the church service, but they are to be godly men. The role of women is to be that of a godly woman too, and then he will explain the role. So the issue here is what evidences a godly woman in worship? This is not the last word on this subject. This is not the only word on it, but it is the word that Paul gave the Ephesians for how to, to instruct, and for Timothy specifically, how to instruct the church, which obviously had violated these truths, how he was to instruct them as to the function of women in the worship service that would evidence their godliness. And we said that women evidence their godliness by three ways. First of all, by their appearance, verses 9 and 10. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly. And those are the two key words, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works as befits women making a claim to godliness. It isn't the issue. The issue is not whether she can wear jewelry or not. In that culture, uh, women were coming in there flaunting their, their wealth and flaunting their, themselves upon other women's husbands. And it was all wrapped up in the culture of that day with the braided hair and the gold and pearls and costly garments. And we went over that in messages previous to this so you can get the tape to deal with that. But the issue is by their appearance. They are to appear in whatever culture they, appear in, uh, they, they would appear in. It is to be characterized by modesty and discretion. Secondly, by their activity, and I might add the appearance is important because the appearance reflects what's on the inside. The outside reflects what's on the inside. It is not that the outside is the only important thing, but it is a reflection of the character and and, uh, godliness of a person. Secondly, by their activity. Women who worship evidence their godliness by their activity, and that's found in verses 11 and 12. Let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Her godliness is evidenced by her activity. Godly women are to learn in the worship service, not teach. Now, of course, this is balanced out with other scriptures that women can, can do many things in the, in the service of the Lord. And we said that in messages past. I don't, just, I don't want to just repeat what we said before. So don't just take that as if we're cutting off women from doing anything. We're talking about when the church assembles together like this. Women are not 
to teach, but they are to learn. They are to be discipled, and that's the word here. The women who sit under the teaching of the word, and they are to learn. They are not to teach. They are to be submissive to the male leadership as they are taught the word of God. And really, verse 12 explains verse 11. What does it mean? Let a woman quietly receive instruction? Well, it means this, but I do not allow a woman to teach. What does it mean in verse 11 when he says, with entire submissiveness? That's qualified and explained by the end of verse 12. Or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. And so Paul really explains Paul. Now, we have spent a number of weeks saying the same thing over and over again in many different ways. We have explained these two verses, which is really the the heart of this passage and the controversy that people have dealing with this subject. We have explained these two verses. We have looked at Old Testament examples going through uh, the Old Testament to see that there was never a female priest, never a female king. Uh, And even those who did prophesy, we we, uh, explained that in its context. We have looked at New Testament examples, and we've seen that in the New Testament, a woman never gave a sermon. A woman was not an apostle. A woman was, was not a pastor. A woman was not an elder, and other things as well. We have compared Scripture with Scripture, dealing with 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 11. We looked at at, uh, Galatians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 3, and other verses as well. And also we have tried to answer some of the arguments that are likely to be brought up. What about female missionaries and things of that nature? In the last message we dealt with that. But if you were a member of the Ephesian church and you had just read what Paul wrote, What would you want to know next? Think about that for a moment. If you were sitting in the church at Ephesus and Timothy was reading this to you and explaining, what would you want to know next? Well, I'll tell you, if I was at Ephesus, there would be no question in my mind what I would want to know next. I've I've just been sitting there listening to Paul tell, tell Timothy that he forbids women teaching and leading men in the church service. And Ma, and he said it in very strong, strong words, He said it in very strong language. He said, I forbid them. I don't permit them. You know what my question would be? Why? Why? How come? Especially if my wife was nudging me. Ask that. Why? How come? But that's what would be going on in my mind. I might think, Paul, but have you heard our women teach? I mean, obviously, uh, this whole letter is a corrective letter, which means that there were problems there. There were women coming in the worship service, flaunting their beauty, flaunting their wealth, and distracting people from worship, which is the whole point of the worship service. And it doesn't make sense to have women drawing attention to themselves when they ought to be uh, looking to the Lord and not distracting people. But I would, I would, uh, would say, Paul, have you, have you heard our women teach? Because obviously there were women in that assembly who were teaching. Paul would never have to deal with this if there were not women distracting other people and also teaching in the worship service. We know they had a problem with their elders. He'll, he'll deal with that in chapter 3. We know they had a problem with their leadership. We know throughout the whole letter he has had to discipline leaders. They, they are a constant problem. That's why Timothy he is sent there. He is not really the, the pastor of that church, so this is called the pastoral epistle. He is really an apostolic representative to set things in order. But I would say, Paul, haven't you heard our women? Why, Paul, they're better than most of our men. They do a great job in handling the word. And I would want to know from Paul, why can't the women teach? I want to know, Paul, is it your opinion? Paul, are you carrying over your, your secular or religious, I could say rabbinical upbringing to, to impose upon us your Judaistic teaching from the past? 
Paul, is it just the culture? Do you, do you not like something that goes on at Ephesus? We know it was a corrupt city. Paul, what's the real reason why women can't teach? Are you just biased? Well, let's look at how Paul answers that because that's what he does in verses 13 and 14. He gives two reasons, two reasons why women should not, why he does not forbid women, why he does, I should say, forbid women to teach men in the worship service. Two reasons. They are not based on culture. They are not based on opinion. They are not based on his rabbinical upbringing. They are based totally on the Old Testament account of creation and the fall of man. They are based on the Bible, not on the changing culture of the day. And the first reason why a woman should not lead men by authoritatively teaching in the worship service is because of the order of creation. Verse 13, he says this, and you notice the word for, he is explaining it. In other words, because, this is the reason why, for it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. In order to understand this, let's go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. A very short verse, but we really need to see what Paul was thinking about, what was in his mind, and it's obvious that he is referring to the Genesis account. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, we read this. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I'm sure Adam would have amen that. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Not a helpmate, not, not strictly a mate, but a helper. A helpmate. Someone who will be suitable for him. Someone who will meet his needs. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. You see, so God caused all these animals to come before Adam, and obviously none would meet his need. So the Lord, I mean, pets are nice, but there is a limit. So the Lord God, in verse 21, caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took, now watch this, one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place, and the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Henry Morris, in his excellent commentary on Genesis, has this to say. He says, It is likely that the word rib is a poor translation. The Hebrew word selah appears 35 times in the Old Testament, and this is the only time it is rendered rib. Most of the time, it, it means simply side. The thought evidently is to stress that the woman was made neither from Adam's head, suggesting superiority to him, nor from his feet, suggesting inferiority, but from his side, indicating equality and companionship. And let me add to that, this gives new meaning to the term sidekick. Thank you. Thank you. You're awake. Okay. Morris didn't say that I said that, just so he doesn't get blamed for that. So the thought here is that out of man came woman. In fact, it says she shall be called woman. In the Hebrew, that is isha. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of ish, out of man. Isha, out of ish. Now, what's Paul's point in 1 Timothy? That's really the question. What is his point? Let's look at 1 Timothy again. We'll just be going back and forth. What, what is his point? For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. Is it simply, as many assert, 
that Adam was created first and Eve second. So because of the chronological order of creation, man leads and woman follows. Many believe that. I don't believe that's the point that Paul's making at all. In fact, I'm convinced that that's not the point that Paul is making. If it was just a matter of chronological order, then you know who ought to rule over us? Animals. Because they were created first. I don't think the point that Paul is making is that man was made first. And because he was made first, he is the one who leads. And the woman was made second and she follows. The thrust of Paul's argument, as I said, isn't just that Adam came first. So that's a part of it. But, uh, uh, but that Eve was made, watch this, from man and for man. That's the point. It isn't that she just followed, but she was made from him. She is Isha from Ish, and she was made for him. Adam was made for God, and Eve was made for Adam to be his helper. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is a uh, passage that gives some clarification on this. Verse 8 and 9 say this, For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake. Now watch that. But woman for the man's sake. God created man to reflect his glory. That's one verse before this in verse 7. For a man ought not to have his head covered. And we've got into this before, dealing with the cultural background of the head covering. For a man ought not to have his head covered since what? He is the image and the glory of God. God created man to reflect his glory, but God created woman to reflect man. Because the rest of that verse says, but the woman is the glory of man. And that's why he explains that in verse 8. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed man was not created for the woman's sake, but the woman for the man's sake. Now back in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says this. He uses the word first, for Adam was, was first created. Uh, In the Greek New Testament, the word first could mean first in the sense of chronological order, or it could mean first in rank, in other words, chief one, someone who is preeminent. And I believe by context, the word here refers not just to the first in order, but he was the first in rank. He was the leader. He was the head. She came from him and to meet his needs. Adam was the first in rank and Eve was created to help him. Therefore, she was made to follow his lead. That's why she was created, to follow his lead, to depend upon his provisions, to find security in his strength. She was made to lean on him and his strength and, and, and in his protection. That's the role of a woman. God made man and woman so that it was natural for him to lead and for her to follow. It was natural for him to provide for her and for her to accept these provisions. It was natural for him to protect her and for her to be protected. That's the design that God gave back in creation. And quite frankly, I don't know why any woman would want to be a leader in a church. God has designed the church to have leadership to protect the flock. Leadership is not an enviable position. It is not a position that you go into unless the Lord calls you. It is at times a very thankless position. It is at times a position that is criticized and often misunderstood. Women, by their very design, were created to be under authority, not out leading the church, not out leading everyone in the church. Subordination, now watch this, subordination is a privilege. It is not a punishment. It is wonderful to be under the protection of godly pastors. It is a horrible thing to be out of that protection. 
And there are so many today who have the wrong understanding of authority, they think it's a punishment when really it is a protection. It is the umbrella of protection. It is a privilege for you ladies to be under the protection in the, in the church of elders who love you and pray for you and care about you and want to protect you. It is a privilege. Adam was not dependent upon Eve for anything. He existed before her, but she existed to meet his needs. Her existence was to to help him. It was not the other way around. Now, this was God's original design for man and woman. And it, it was embedded in their very beings, and it is still embedded in the beings of people. And they, back in Genesis, had no problem until sin entered into the world. And then it was a part of the curse that woman would desire to reign over the man. Now, we dealt with this last time in Genesis chapter 3. Remember the curse after man fell in Genesis chapter 3, which says this. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply, 316, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children. Now watch this. Yet your desire shall be for your husband. We explain that it does not mean that now she desires him sexually. As I said before, that is not a curse. That is a blessing. Okay, that is not a curse. The word desire is explained in chapter 4, verse 7 of Genesis. If you do well, God says to Cain, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And watch this, its desire is for you. In other words, he's saying to Cain, Cain, sin wants to control you. Sin wants to dominate you. Sin desires to reign over you. And so the, after the fall of man... And the fall of of human nature, women then, as part of the curse, had the problem of desiring, not sexually their husband, but desiring, now they desire to reign over them. And watch this, and the man no longer is to be, uh, no longer is a godly leader by his very nature, but watch watch this in verse 16, and he shall rule over you. Now that's part of the curse. Now, if Adam ruled over Eve before, and he was the leader, and he was the head, and she was created for him, this means, and and if you go back into the original Hebrew, you will see this, this means that, that no longer does he rule over you in a godly way, but now he wants to dominate you. Now he wants to be a tyrant over you. And so the the clash of of the sexes throughout the years from the fall of man is that woman is trying to control man and man is trying to control woman in a domineering, tyrannical reign and they're both knocking heads. That's the problem. But before that, God's order of creation was such that man was, was to be a godly head and women and the woman and women were to follow and reside under his protection. They were not to lead, they were to follow. So the first reason Paul gives for the submission of women in the churches to male leadership is the order of creation. There is more to it than just the order of creation, as we'll see on the next Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher. He's the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These daily radio Bible classes are an extension of that ministry. You can learn more about Verse by Verse at our website, versebyverseradio.org. And you'll find information about Lakeside at their website, www.lakesidechapel.com. Dr. S.I. McMillan, in his book, None of These Diseases, tells the story of a young woman who wanted to go to college. But her heart sank when she read the question on the application that asked, Are you a leader? 
Being both honest and conscientious, she wrote no and returned the application, expecting the worst. To her surprise, she received this letter from the college. Dear applicant, a study of the application forms reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it is imperative that they have at least one follower. Well, this is Jerry Peterson. Join us next time on Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve Kreloff concludes this series on women in worship. We'll consider the fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden and what that has to do with women in church leadership positions. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, we see the themes of obedience and God's love and kindness and justice and judgment played out in the recounting of when the spies were sent to look at the land of Canaan, the promised land. From Numbers 13, we know that the elders who were sent as spies came back and said there was no way they could take the land, while Joshua and Caleb, the next generation of Israelites, came back and said that the land